everyone, welcome to the Musea Podcast. I'm Michael Howard, the founder and CEO of Musea. Uh, for this episode, I had the pleasure of talking with KT Mary. She is a luxury and destination wedding photographer. She has traveled the world extensively photographing weddings and fashion editorial shoots. KT is also a wonderful educator with a lot of resources for photographers on her website. She has a passion for animals and has this amazing online print shop where a portion of every sale goes to help animal conservation organizations. So you can find links to all of this in the show notes. And this interview is also on the Musea YouTube channel. We are closing in on 1,000 YouTube subscribers and we could use your help to get there. So you will find videos like this interview with KT where we show you her work during the interview Plus, you'll find informative videos related to Musea Lab, so make sure to watch and subscribe at youtube.com slash musea. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with KT Mary. Hello, my name is KT Mary. I am a luxury destination wedding photographer and also photograph editorials for brands and shoot weddings around the world. I am a conservationist, uh, really passionate about learning and entrepreneurial and personal growth and uh, really passionate about the earth and animals as well. I'm just happy to be here. We're going to, there's a ton of stuff I would love to talk with you about. Right. Um, So we'll just go through stuff. Uh, Give us a little, like a couple minutes on just how you got started in photography. Yeah. So my, my story goes all the way back um, to the small northern Nevada town that I went to high school in had a darkroom photography class that I was in. And I was lucky enough, this is way back when there were still dark rooms and that's what they how they were teaching photography students. And so I got exposed. I'd always been into art, but really got exposed to photography through that. And my photography teacher really took me under her wing and uh, asked me if I wanted to join this state competition uh, called VICA, which was standard for Vocational Industrial Clubs of America. And it was everything from auto mechanics to welding to photography. I think, I don't know if the program's still around, but it was really amazing actually in hindsight. And so I went to the state level competition and ended up winning there, which went on to a national competition and ended up runner up at the national competition and ultimately scored uh, three different photography school scholarships. So all of a sudden got kind of put on a path to go to photography school and ultimately became a photographer kind of based from winning those scholarships. So it was, it kind of chose me versus the other way around. Yeah. That's awesome. So you went to the Hallmark Institute of Photography? I did. Yeah. It's a small, really small photography school. I don't think it's there any longer uh, Mm -hmm. in Western Massachusetts and was a Mm -hmm. really intense you know, eight hours a day of classes plus labs and things like that afterwards. Um, so it was a real in-depth program and really immersive, which was amazing for me at the time. Yeah. Not your traditional you, college experience. Right. Okay. You, do you, I was curious if you recommend like photographers going through a kind of formal college or just some sort of for a formal photography education program like that. Yeah. I know a lot I, of people are self-taught nowadays, but. Yeah, I, you know, I do really well. And I think, I think maybe, well, 
I don't know how other people learn, but I do really well with immersive experiences and, mm -hmm. and really being all in committed to something. And so I'm a big fan of trade schools in general and just people being able to learn trades very in depth and um, really have a, a wealth of kind of general knowledge. Um, I created back then, you had to choose a portfolio, you know, whether that was people or commercial and and i chose general portfolio so i was shooting you know still lifes and i was shooting people and i was doing commercial projects and all those types of things and i think it especially when you're starting out that just the more that you can learn even if it's outside the realm of what you think you're going to do i think it just all adds to it and makes you stronger so i i would i'm but i'm You'll learn this from me. I'm an education um, junkie. You know, <laughs> yeah. I I would go to Harvard tomorrow if they take me. So, mm. um, you know, to me, you can never yeah. have too much education. Right. Um, and then from there, you went. You were you went to assisting. Yes. After that, is that your okay? Yeah. How tell me about that experience? Because I, I when I moved to Nashville, I was assist, I assisted some commercial photographers for a while, so I have that experience. But it seems like fewer and fewer people I bump into have that background. Yeah. And it, you know, at the time it was like the only path really, I mean, you would never come out of school or just dive into the industry and, you know, kind of be like, and now I'm a photographer, you know, you always yeah. had that assisting people would kind of look at you like you are crazy if you just did that. So, uh, it really was the, the path forward. And I'm, I think once again, so valuable to just be able to see other photographers who have been doing this for decades and see how they do things and how they run studios and how they light and just learning the ins and outs of being on a crew day after day and, you know, slogging equipment up and down beaches and in different countries, all of that was just so valuable. And this was also when weddings were, you know, still in church basements with white tablecloths. So that wasn't even like a blip <laughs> on the radar yeah, for me. Right. Um, so I was really focused on going into fashion. And so just working for fashion photographers was obviously the best route forward. Mm -hmm. Who, is there any photographers you assisted that, I don't know if there's anybody I would know or anything. But yeah, just um, probably the most notable, um, Patrick Demarchelier. Uh, I mm -hmm. worked for him a few times and always uh, on big, big, big sets was like the fourth assistant or something like that, you know, yeah. just uh, holding umbrellas for him and running equipment up and down. Um, so those types of, I worked for a lot of different photographers, um, out of New York, uh, and then really ultimately a lot in Miami back then, uh, the photography scene in Miami was really booming. And mm -hmm. I ended up becoming a first for a German photographer down here and traveled and worked with him full time for a few years. And that was really also when digital really came onto the scene and he was very progressive. So I, quickly became like the tech slash assistant and really ultimately ended up digital teching then for, for crews following that. But I did a bit of everything from, you know, production to assisting stylists to really, you know, uh, really a bit of everything, which I think gave me even more background to be able to do that a little bit now where I'm producing my own shoots. Um, I kind of have a little bit of background of kind of how that, how that goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's such an invaluable experience. I definitely, if I ever get run into somebody that has a chance to assist or they're in a city where that's like a thing, I definitely rec mm -hmm. recommend it because it will speed up the learning curve so much faster and you'll, <laughs> you'll learn what not to do. Uh, you kind of see how everything runs, how to work with people. It's like 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the hierarchy <laughs> of shoots. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, so getting into last year, um, oh, wait, how, did that, that. how did that? <laughs> how did that? How did that? How did that? What happened? Yeah, because that affected uh, I, everybody. I've seen so many people affected by it. I mean, I've seen photographers that just quit, like they just right. were like last year, just did them in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like you're still here. Still <laughs> so here. How'd you survive? Yeah. Still standing. <sighs> um, goodness gracious. Well, you know, obviously it was a devastating year on so many levels and so many people suffered in so many different ways. Uh, that said, I, I really do always try to find the silver linings and the positives and things. And it was a really lovely and welcomed experience for me in the sense that I had just time to really kind of settle in. Um, I didn't really allow myself to panic or worry about things too much. And so I really just took time to do a lot of the things that I normally don't have time to do. Um, like just yeah. going and running 18 miles cause you don't have to be anywhere <laughs> later that day, you know, all those yeah. types of strange things that people do during pandemics. Um, but in that sense, it was really, it was the first time in over a decade that we, you know, haven't traveled uh, extensively. Mm-hmm. We did some domestic jobs and things like that, that came up, but um, it was, it was a really nice change of pace in that sense. Um, you know, barring obviously the, the financial impact and all the, the craziness that went on with moving pretty much our entire calendar year and trying to sort that out with brides and grooms, which we're still doing. But, you know, I think, uh, what do they say? The one thing that is the constant is change. And so, you know, uh, I try to just roll with those tides as much as I can. And I think that at least takes some of the the tension and the brute of it out of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Did it give you time to maybe reflect either on your work creatively or just like mm-hmm. a new business direction you want to go? Because I know for a lot of people, it gave them a pause that they would they would have just kept going and you know running that hamster wheel to a sense. So did yeah. did it break anything loose for you? Yeah, I think I'm I'm so grateful for any kind of um, pattern interrupt uh, to mm-hmm. really be able to kind of evaluate what you're doing and why. So it definitely did. It it affirmed a lot of things that I really did love, which, uh, you know, I do really enjoy the traveling. And on the flip side, I really do enjoy the pauses and the days where I can just go and be in nature and be outside and and not be, you know, attached to a screen. And and so I think um, luckily we had already in 2019 had started working on some education that we were doing. And so I had plenty to keep me busy and we just dove into that. We, we had our first um, group of students and members that went through this program right in January of 2020. And so they had just finished the program literally the week that the lockdown started. So um, I, we just really dove into supporting that community. Um, and I think, you know, doing, doing the very best you can with, with what you already have in motion. So luckily we had already had some of that in motion pre COVID. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what has attracted you to, you know, this kind of fashion editorial aesthetic mm-hmm. and being in that world? It seems something that goes back early on for you. 
So is there a genesis for you of where that came from? Yeah, I think I, I really love the truly creating. And I love when you are able to do that at every level, which obviously with wedding so much of, you know, the set, the costumes, the everything like that is, is really out of my personal control. So obviously with editorial, you do have, you have a bigger paintbrush to be able to kind of make those strokes. And so I, I kind of love the artful play. And it's so funny because in, in my life, for me personally, I'm very minimal. Um, you know, I'm not uh, a fashionista by any means. I'm much more on the Steve Jobs side of, you know, that yeah. type of thing. But when right. it comes to editorial and things like that, I'm like, you know, the bigger the gown, the better, um, you know, all this type of stuff. It, so there, mm -hmm. I just like the art of creating and the amount of flexibility and challenge that comes with that, because, you know, with those types of shoots, once again, you, you can't blame it on, well, I didn't get to pick the, the location or the clothes, you know, for the most part, you do have creative control. And so I think it is a great challenge to really see how far you can push yourself there. Yeah, that's interesting about your Steve Jobs comment because I was so a couple of years ago I was reading something about where uh, there's something about I don't know the amount of choices we make in a day and yes. how taxing it can be. There's something about like simplifying your wardrobe yes. where you don't have to make that decision every day. That's like really freeing for people. And once Absolutely. you go that way, it's like you can never make go other creative decisions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've gotten where I have a yeah. uniform for for just about everything, and yeah. and even. I've found other ways to simplify that too. You know, in, it was January, 2020, a lot happened in January, 2020. Um, I just started a thing of, you know, every day we're going to sweat or work out every single day and essentially no days off. And we've I've kept it going till now. So I don't know how many days that is, but once again, it, it removed one more decision. Am I working out this morning or am I not like it's, well, I am. So it's one less decision that you're making. And I remember the days where, <laughs> yeah. you know, Chad and I would go back and forth, my husband, Chad about, oh, are we going to go to the gym? Or are we not going to go to the gym? You know, those types of, it's just like, it's just baked into the morning. So um, I think the more mm -hmm. irrelevant decisions that you can take off your plate, it really does help you be more decisive in other areas. Tying back into the, the fashion editorial aesthetics, um, another layer for you, or at least for me, when I look at your work is there's also a very uh, romantic feminine. There's like, it's very soft. Mm -hmm. um, I guess for you, where does that come from personally, that, that type of softness in your work? Yeah. And it's, once again, it's, it's kind of funny. I think we should do this whole study of uh, photographers or artists and the work they create versus how they are in life. Because once again, I am yeah. Not a very romantic, <laughs> feminine, overly feminine woman. Um, I, I can count on, you know, one hand, the amount of dresses I have. Um, and I think ultimately it comes from this seeking beauty ultimately. And I think that whether it's photographing a horse or a gown or something like that, that um, really bringing true beauty and light and, um, love would be incorporated into that, um, kind of bringing that to the surface is something that I am always seeking. And I think, I think that's just because there's plenty of the opposite in this world. And so, you know, of, of harshness and, um, 
contrast and div mm. division. So I think anytime that we can bring more of that, just lightness and, um, you know, romance falls into that, um, just having people feel love and those types of things. I, I love looking at those types of images and I love creating them. And so it's, it's really just always trying to find that beauty and create that beauty. Uh, getting started with your career, uh, maybe specifically in weddings or editorial, um, what are what are some of the areas you struggled with getting started? Because I think a lot of people look at <laughs> look at somebody like you know you, you have this very successful career, uh, but sometimes sharing the struggles is helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think early on. So when I went to photo school. Not to date myself again, but once again, digital wasn't a thing. It didn't exist. So it was film. There yeah. was no debate, film or digital. It was just film. Um, yeah. So I, I learned, you know, on a Mamiya 645, um, I shot film. And when I had, I assisted all those years. And then when I went into actually doing my own work and really stepping into being my own photographer, it, the obvious decision was digital in the sense that, you know, I was scraping by in terms of money. So the cheapest medium is, is the right medium. And what I found was just, just self critique at, at a, at a level that I don't think was helpful. It really was kind of torturous in a way that even in the moment of shooting, I would already be going, Oh gosh, this isn't, you know, as good as it should be. It's, it's, I'm not finding the right thing. And, and that's where, digital really, I found, didn't help me grow and develop that eye because it was so critiquing on the back of the screen in the moment. And so really, when I did shift back into picking up that film camera, it did allow me to really kind of allow, give myself space to actually create and try to figure it out without mm -hmm. overanalyzing in the mind. So on the creative side, that was certainly, I think, finding that rhythm of slowing down, taking a deep breath and not getting too ahead of that creative process. And I, I think it's always difficult when you have clients, you know, we're not, we're not shooting a still life where you can take five hours with it. You're shooting, you know, two human beings that are staring at you like, well, am, am I doing it right? Is this what you want me to do? You know, all that type of stuff. So <laughs> yeah. I, I think that it, yeah. that was definitely something that took me time to really step into that confidence as my own, you know, solid shooter and guiding clients. Um, and that took, that took a bit of time. And then certainly the business was mm. a whole nother element that I definitely, I resisted for a long time. And that's, I think why I'm so passionate now about helping other creative entrepreneurs, you know, photographer entrepreneurs really step into that identity of, of a entrepreneur, of a business person, because I, I certainly resisted that for years and years. <laughs> With your education uh, program you you're, uh, have for photographers, what are what are some of the things they're coming to you with that they're struggling with? What is kind of the, the 2020, 2021 <laughs> struggles outside of COVID, obviously, that just everybody had a problem with, but it made yeah. everything difficult? Well, unlike when I was getting going, where there was no information out about, you know, all the things you need to do, it was just, we were all just winging it um, back then. Now there's just so much information that I think, especially about marketing, you know, about what you need to do with your Instagram, what you need to, you need to have this website and it needs to look just like this. And I think that there is a line of confusion between what is marketing and what is actual business. Um, and so a lot of times mm -hmm. I think when people are talking about 
building a business, they're actually talking about marketing and, and absolutely marketing is important, you know, otherwise we probably wouldn't be having this conversation if I was just, you know, creating art in a basement, not sharing it with anyone. Um, but <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the principles of business of actually having a business on the inside that's working and, you know, is being able to pay its taxes on time and, and hopefully provide you with a salary of some sort and start thinking about, you know, are you going to put money away for your retirement? And all those types of things are totally different than, you know, am I going to Instagram at 2 p.m. or, or noon? Um, so I think that that's, right. you know, sometimes I think yeah. we're, we're focusing so much on the marketing and thinking that that means we're focusing on the business. Going back to your work for a second, you, one of the, your strengths I see is just your composition, uh, how you frame things um, is so well done. Uh, so I don't know, there's a lot of things I would love to unpack here. Um, I guess for one, are, are there some principles to maybe design our composition that you feel are just universal that, that makes a successful composition within a photo? Yeah, I think really thinking about where almost almost like when you're reading a book and I'm, I love books, um, you know, where you want that reader, where you want to take that reader, it's the same thing with a photo. Where do you want to take that person? Um, and so a lot of the times, you know, luckily I'm kind of now doing that more at an intuitive level versus really thinking about it once in a while when we are shooting editorial and we're say, having it, you know, streaming photos into a screen, we are actually looking at it and really analyzing it that way, yeah. which is not necessarily my favorite, but can can actually be beneficial. But um, I think really thinking about where you want to take that person. And so, you know, are you really looking to guide them like through this side of the image up to this way or through this way? And I think often I will see things just kind of out of the corner of the viewfinder where I'm going, oh gosh, that one thing is like grabbing my eye. So I need to just shift and, you know, get that out of there. Like the, the more, the more we can eliminate um, to really guide them in the direction we want to go, uh, I think can be really a helpful thing in terms of composition. And it kind of comes back to that wardrobe thing. Um, always trying mm -hmm. to, to simplify in that sense. And, and I think there's, there is some element of minimalism that I am always trying to seek out when it comes to composition. Yep. Yeah. I definitely see that as well. One uh, curious question. Are you more of a manual focuser or auto? I'm a, I love manual focus. Um, right. I think that's why, you know, I do love that context so much. Um, but we just actually switched over to some Sony systems and I was finding, I don't even know what it's called, but they have this manual, Thing where when you manual focus, it'll like light up in the screen. It's like a very, mm -hmm. you know, high tech. And I was like, this is pretty cool. Um, so, you yeah. know, I've been experimenting with doing normally with digital, I would just auto focus, but I've been kind of playing with those new features a little bit. There's like 4,000 of them that I have to relearn with these new systems, but I'm getting yeah. experimenting with them as well. Right. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I'm Fuji, so X, uh, XT, yeah. um, and it, they have the same like highlight peaking yeah. system. Yeah, that's um, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's no, it's uh, yeah, I, I love it too because I'm from a film background. So, and I find sometimes with composition, I think sometimes autofocus can be like a detriment in ways because you tend to want to like center 
pinpoint everything just yep. a little too often. And then ma manually focusing allows you to really reframe things as you're shooting without like focusing and then recomposing. Yeah. So. And I think whenever you have the option, you know, obviously when they are recessing and things are going a million miles an hour, you know, I'm going to let the technology go for it. Um, but yeah. when I have the option and we're really trying to compose, because I have noticed that that's one of the things that I don't love about digital is sometimes I'll be like, gosh, I just, you know, I wanted my framing to just be a little bit different. Why did I do that? And, you know, it is like moving around that it's letting the tech kind of lead a little too much um, mm -hmm. where I think anytime that we can regain that control and even doing things like I'll set the cropping on all digital to that three, four. So, because I just, I also, you know, I just don't love that, that really like 35 millimeter cropping, I think works great horizontal. Um, like we are right now, but vertical, I just don't love it. So I'll always set it yeah. to three, four and um, yeah. you know, it is really great because then you do, you have a little bit of play that I'm always like, tweaking that afterwards um, when it comes mm -hmm. to digital, you know, film, that's the beauty. You're really going to uh, push yourself to get that framing just right in camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You do a great job of coming back to your comment about simplifying things. Um, when I was really looking through your work, um, kind of prepping for this, I noticed a lot of photographers, something they do that they're trying to simplify the background. So they tend to go like really shallow up the field, I think mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And, um, I didn't s see that as much in your work. And so I feel like you simplify the background by the content you actually allow in the background, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, I don't see enough photographers doing that. I feel like they're, they're again, using the tech to like, just blur it out versus mm -hmm. finding the angle to where it's, you know, it adds, I can still tell what's in the background and it adds a little bit of a layer to the story in a way. It adds some context. Um, you're not totally just deleting essentially where they're at. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a, it's a subtle nod. You're including it, but it's not just F2 or, F, you know, whatever right. <laughs> the entire time. Right. Yeah. So. And I think I certainly probably went through that phase myself that like the background just as hideous. So we're just going to pretend it's not there, you know, like yeah. whatever that is. And, and I think ultimately, you know, like you said, as we, as we progress, um, we realize, you know, a lot of that is an important component of the story. And it's really just finding that way in which you can incorporate that or, or that the light at, you know, sometimes just gosh, pivoting by 90 degrees or something, you're like, oh my gosh, it's a whole new world. So I think always, mm -hmm. I think early on, when we go back to kind of early on in that confidence, it, it took time to develop the confidence to be like, okay, we're going to move this, you know, okay, we're going to just take three steps to the word before I like, I wouldn't want to bother people or, you know, I, I really didn't have the nuances of how to do that in a really guided, confident way, where mm -hmm. now I think, you know, I'm not going to spend 30 seconds longer in something that's clearly could be better than I need to. Um, and mm -hmm. so just trying to move on quicker is really important. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming you talk about this in your education, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. Um, but some of the keys into serving luxury clients, cause I feel like a lot of, a lot of photographers I know kind of want to elevate and get in, in, into that market. Um, what are maybe 
you know, two or three keys you feel like, um, to, to serve luxury clients successfully. Well, that business, that pesky business component that, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I really resisted, but it really is such really understanding being as confident as a business person as you are an artist, I think is, mm-hmm. is a non-negotiable because, um, one thing that I, I don't think I intentionally kind of laid eyes upon. I knew I wanted the, the prettier backdrops, the, you know, the more beautiful fashion, the more talented designers to work alongside, but obviously the clientele themselves are going to be just so much more elevated, you know, in, in every sense of the word of, of wealth, experience, education, expectation, most importantly. And so you really need to rise to meet them. And so it really means making, focusing on that personal growth on another level and really Mm -hmm. being able to step into those more difficult situations or negotiations or all those things and know exactly what your values are and what, what you are, you know, what is negotiable, what is not, and how to kind of hold your own in those situations. So I think most importantly, you know, preparing for that ahead of time and not waiting for those situations to be like, oh, shoot, I really, you know, need to understand what all these clauses in my contract mean or um, <laughs> yeah. have the confidence to be able to, you know, reiterate for, you know, the fifth time of why I need this 20 minutes on the schedule here to be able to do what I do or those types of things. So I think really, you know, stepping into that far ahead of the need has, is really imperative. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there little things with luxury clients? Like, do you find like you need to handwrite notes more often? Like, is there more gifts being given at other times? Like, you know, there's just a little more personalization to a lot of interactions. Yeah. And what's so interesting is the more I, I remember at one point I, I had decided, okay, I've got to up level my whole client experience, which did include, yeah. you know, I need the fancier note cards and was working on that personalized gift. And <laughs> right. I had one of these kind of epiphanies, probably well on a run outside. That's where most of them happen. Um, going my, our clients who we are serving now, um, Brian Raffinelli, a planner, he said it so well in, in an interview once that I did with him that they are perfect people with perfect lives. Um, meaning also that they, if they need something or want something, they will most often have it or go buy it and they do not need more stuff. Um, (laughs) and also as I alluded to, you know, one of my values or, or things that I think, you know, the things that they say, what what grinds your gears, you know, waste on any level is just, Mm. it's really what gets me. And so here I was, you know, crafting a bunch of crap. I don't know if we're allowed to say that here, but you know, for for somebody that doesn't even (laughs) want it or need it. And I very quickly was like, oh my gosh, I'm going entirely the wrong direction. So, so I think that that is a very common misstep um, Mm -hmm. that people will have when they're tiptoeing into the luxury market, that that means I need fancier candles and, you know, uh, potpourri to, to send to them and, you know, resist that and try to find things that are more meaningful um, to your brand. And, and maybe it is just, you know, spending more time, most often not with the client, with the planner to really walk through that schedule or to show up that day or day early and really capture, you know, all the beautiful areas of that destination. So then the client 
has all that when they receive their final gallery. You know, it's finding other ways mm-hmm. to really over deliver or, you know, even in the wedding that we just did, there were there were moments where we we shot for an hour longer than we should have, you know, and and that at at the price point that we are um, and the you know collection that we've done, we're happy to over deliver, you know, when we really see the need for it and um, making sure that they're not being nickel and dimed when it's not appropriate. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. That's something uh, assisting. I felt like going back to the beginning of your career when I was working with photographers, there was always just this kind of, they would tell you something like it need, you know, they need, this thing needs to be set up this way. Uh, and it wasn't, they never didn't always tell you like how to get there, but you just had to figure out how to make it happen. Right. And so there's kind of this, like, just make it happen attitude. Yes. Um, that you just have to like believe in and like figure it out. You know, there's yes. not always a roadmap. <laughs> to everything. Yeah. And to so. that point, you know, I think with assisting, and I don't know the photographers that you worked with, but the photographers that I worked with, same thing. They, there were often less words, you know, than yeah. necessarily I was hoping for. And, yep. um, and, you know, certainly don't be bothering them with your silly questions or, you know, be making a peep when the client is on set or any of those types of things. I think you learn very quickly discretion and reading the room and, um, all of that, you know, I use every single bit of it every time I, I step onto a job now. So it, it directly transfers over and correlates, um, because mm-hmm. yeah, you, you make that one mistake once where, you know, you ask a silly question or interrupt something and, um, you won't do it again. So, uh, I, yeah, yeah I think absolutely. It's really valuable. Uh, interested with you and your husband working together. Um, always interested to f- learn how you guys balance that and then just having a marriage a real relationship and not uh you know it leading to arguments and whatever all this yeah and and trust me we've had a few of those too Um, (laughs) um you know we've been working full time together for over 10 years now and we're still learning more and more, especially as we kind of take on more things and um, are always evolving the business. But I think really early on, we realized a couple things. One, we had to be totally on the same page in terms of schedule and ha- having a routine when we are home, because obviously when we're traveling, you know, it, it just all, you're just there and it's yeah. blur. Um, but when we are yeah. home, really having a routine that we're both on the same page and supportive of, and then ultimately really setting expectations around who's doing what. So for mm-hmm. example, you know, Chad will always be the one that's packaging up and shipping in the film and downloading those cards. And I am always the one that's doing the editing and doing the client relations and things like that. So we have very clear lanes where it's not Mm. like, wait a minute, I thought you were sending in the film, but I thought you were sending in the film, like all those types of things. And so I think it eliminated a lot of that where we had very defined roles and really can step into those roles when it comes to a shoot day. And then, you know, switch out of that gear. And so there's kind of not, not role play, but you know, we are certainly stepping into those roles when we need to. And I think that's really important to not cross those wires as much as possible. 
Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's for the employees I have, it's the same way as like they, you know, you, it really helps to give people uh, their set expectations. And this mm-hmm. is kind of the lane and area you're mm-hmm. uh, going to be in. And here's kind of our systems of operation and how we operate and, mm-hmm. you know, something achievable. So, yeah, I totally get it. That's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. If you could go back to when you were first starting out now, what, what advice would you give yourself in terms of just a photography career? Well, I really, I, I think I did a lot of things decently well. Um, one was being, you know, kind of always continuously pushing in terms of even just raising those prices or trying to seek a bigger market. However, I, I really do wish that I had um, really dove into that business side a lot sooner and not resisted it so much, you know, often, what do they say? Whatever you resist uh, persists. So, you know, what you're mm-hmm. resisting is usually the thing that you need the most. And and that was certainly the case for me that, you know, once I found some creative, some processes, some systems and things like that, it allowed me so much more white space and creative freedom that that was like the very thing I was trying to protect by not doing those things. So I, I really wish I would have dove into those sooner. I mean, I think like everyone, um, you know, do you wish that you were like using that SEP IRA and that Roth IRA when you're 21 <laughs> instead of 31 or 41? Absolutely. Yeah. So those are yeah. the things that right. I think, I, I think our industry is very um, short-sighted. And mm. like you said, there's some photographers that are just gone, like, okay, if they're gone, where have they gone? And you know, how is that impacting their financial future in the next 10 years and their retirement? So I know it's very unsexy that we'd much rather talk about our pretty pictures, but I think that's just such an important aspect because we can't create pretty pictures unless we have, you know, a foundation to stand on. So mm-hmm. just just getting to that a bit sooner and not res- spending so much energy resisting that would be absolutely what I would have done more of. Um, and I think... I think ultimately just in, you know, embracing that process more. I think there is this um, for the overachievers, you know, they can probably relate that there is this feeling of like, not just like a little bit further, just gonna be a little bit further, you (laughs) know, just once I'm there, you know, that once I'm there and, you know, always kind of seeking that next thing, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, we all know that if you're looking back or looking forward all the time, you're not enjoying the right now. So, you know, just being a little bit more present, taking a few more pauses, um, you know, thank you, 2020. Great, great, for, yeah. great pause. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just to, you know, enjoy that journey a bit. Talk about, because I know like giving back and like with your print shop and your um, some of the stuff you teach photographers is building a business that gives back. Um, I guess talk, let's talk about your, yeah, your fine art print shop, what that is, and then how you're using it for positive change. Yeah. So one of them is called Render Loyalty. And that kind of came out of a moment of, of seeing a news story about the last Northern white rhino in the world, the last male Northern white rhino in the world. And um, I've always, since before time, you know, have always been really passionate about animals and conservation, but had always, once again, thought someday I'll quote unquote be successful. And then I will, you know, go and create my animal rescue and save the planet and do all these things, you know, (laughs) just, but you know, 10, uh, 10, 12, you know, 15 years in, I'm still not there yet and, and really contributing to the thing that I'm probably the most passionate about. So 
Um, render loyalty was just this idea and then I just ran with it. Ultimately, we ended up partnering with three conservations in Africa, um, three nonprofits, and one of them is an elephant orphanage. The other two are large scale conservancies that protect threatened species, um, including the northern white rhino from air and ground and uh, ended up traveling to Africa several times, photographing the animals that they protect and then selling large scale fine art prints and donating back. And so that's kind of how it started. And then once I you know, got a taste of, of this kind of business for good model and how good it felt to, to really have a different motivation for profits and mm-hmm. a different motivation for revenue, uh, I applied that to the education side of the business. We donate 10% of all of all sales. And so for the print shops, we donate 20% of all sales. Um, and it's, you know, led to, we've donated over six figures um, just since I started those. And it's, you know, in the the hardest times, it's been like the, the most rewarding and the most guiding light. Um, you know, even during COVID, when cash flow was at its lowest, but this money was already set aside and earmarked. And, you know, those nonprofits were suffering even more than the small businesses. I mm-hmm. was, you know, sending uh, like a $13,000 donation and going, you know, I don't know if we'll be able to pay all the business bills, but this is going over here. And um, that was yeah. felt really, really great. Yeah. Where did um, the love of animals come from? Did you grow up like around a bunch of animals? You know, I, I grew up in Mammoth Lakes, California, um, which is a beautiful high Sierra mountain area. So I grew up around mm. the most pristine nature. But surprisingly, my family was not a bunch of, you know, animal lovers. I yeah. I brought that to them. And so the very first pet that I they would, uh, quote unquote, let me have was a rat. Um, and so I fully <laughs> embraced that is my dog. And she made her yeah. like she would run around like, you know, I taught her tricks. And eventually she got like a tumor and I had to convince my parents to have her operated on, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, mm-hmm. And then eventually... Uh, we moved around a bit. So we lived in Japan for a few years and that's where I really got into riding horses. And then when we moved back to the U S I was lucky enough to kind of fall into having uh, a mentor and really a second mother that took me in like the summer I was 14 and I just lived on a ranch. And then I started working on a cattle ranch after that and just being a wrangler and um, spending my summers uh, working in the barn and kind of just being surrounded by nature and animals, which was amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, when you're teaching photographers and they're going, you know, kind of go, you're going through this model with them of kind of having a, a business that does also these good things. Um, how do you help them, I guess, identify like maybe a purpose or something, mm-hmm. um, that, that they want to pour into, you know, cause I'm sure it's going to be probably different than what you're passionate Absolutely. about. But. And, and thank goodness, because, you know, if we were all just like, Oh, we only care about saving the dogs or we only care about saving the orphan, you know, the, the beauty is if, if goodness, if everyone that, you know, is listening to this or everyone you knew, or I knew even just said, okay, for, you know, I'll, I'll donate 1% to this one thing that I'm passionate about. I think we could absolutely transform the world. Um, so Mm -hmm. I, I usually start out by just thinking about, you know, what are the, the things that you see that, you know, really force you to do a double take or just, you know, you just can't get out of your mind an hour later after you hear that news story or, you know, you pass that homeless person on the street or, um, you know, you see the stats about the drought in in the West Coast or, you know, whatever that may be. Um, Or, 
anything, just that one, often it's something that you might've cared about as a child that, you know, you've kind of pushed down and said, no, I've got to focus on, you know, paying those bills and being a successful person. And so often coming back to those things. Um, but ultimately if you're unsure, you know, there's, you, there's so many, um, amazing organizations. I use a resource called charity navigator where you can Mm -hmm. go in and, and type in nonprofits and they actually rate them in terms of looking at their books and, you know, making sure they've got different ratings. So you can really, I think there's that level of fear that people go, oh, I don't want to, you know, get involved in something that I don't know if they're legit or that type of thing. Um, But I started out, you know, just volunteering, walking dogs at the local shelter um, in high school and and did that even when I was photo assisting and, you know, been taking Mm -hmm. their pictures and making them more adoptable. There's so many different things. Um, I've got an amazing client who she helps match children in foster care with families that are looking to adopt. Um, it's called Selfless Love Foundation. And, you know, they're just bringing all these families together. And, you know, same thing. They always need those children photographed and to be able to tell those stories. And so there's a lot of ways that you can use your talents and skills that don't even come into the monetary end as well. Mm, yeah. I always say, you know, whatever you have an abundance of, if you've got more time, then great, donate your time. If you got more money, then great, donate, you know, whatever that is, um, even just on the small scale can make, uh, can really add up. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I think it just, I think overall, like it just will help with your mental health, um, yes. just giving, getting out of your own heads to where you're just giving to somebody else and understanding their perspective and being empathetic for their experience and just helping them instead of always like, I need more money and I need more to build my empire and right. all of that. Yeah. So. And I think, you know, we all have those moments where we're like, you know, throwing our little pity party that like, yeah. <laughs> my life's so hard and it's this and this. And, you yeah. know, once in a while, then it's it's a really great grounding perspective shift because you just real quickly go, oh, goodness, you know, how lucky am I? And, and it's really hard to be sad or angry or, you know, whatever, when you are spending a moment in gratitude for what you do have. And so I think that anytime we can come back to that and that's the beauty of giving, I mean, it's, it's cliche, but it is so true that you, you know, you get back 10 times in return. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Almost done. Um, so I'll, I'll, we'll link to your, your fine art print shop and everything. Uh, what do you have coming up this year for the education, the, uh, abundance plan is anything new or something yeah, else or just, so- just more cycles? We are opening up our our next enrollment um, end of October, so we have a wait list for people that are interested in that. But uh, we are really diving in. I mean, I, you know, I don't know, Michael, how many years you've been in this industry, but I have never seen the floodgates kind of open like this. Um, it is just, it's a really abundant time in our industry. It's also a really important time to to stay grounded and intentional in business. So. We're really kind of digging deep, digging our heels in there um, with the, the members uh, that, you know, really want to set themselves up for success long term. So um, just really spending a lot of time with them in that that program. And we do a lot of live teaching and coaching together um, kind of over the months once we do that as well. So is it a three month thing or how long? Is yeah. It? So, yeah. Yeah. It's typically about three months to go through the program, but you know, everyone, once again, this is at a different pace. That's the beauty of as much as, you know, we want to get away from the screens. There is a lot of flexibility that comes with it, that people can go at their own pace or, you know, revisit the content later. So they, 
they have lifetime access. And so our students that joined back in January 2020, they're continuously getting these updates and kind of being guided through that, which is really cool to see that community grow. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, All right. I was going to do a quick lightning round with you. Oh, I love lightning rounds. So this is going to be like one word answers or super short. Preferably with cocktails, but it's okay. Okay. Too early. No, I don't have cocktails. I have, I have a cup of coffee over here. I don't know okay. if you're here, but that's all I got. Um, all right. So favorite European city? One. Oh, gosh. I have to pick just one. Um, I'm going to have to say Paris. I know. So predictable. Okay. Yeah. Favorite animal. These are like hard questions. These are really hard. Um <laughs> I'm just so torn between elephants and horses, but um, yeah, I'll say horses. Okay. Uh, where haven't you traveled, but you want to go next? New Zealand for sure. Um, oh, you haven't been to, okay. I, I just assumed you had been there. Okay. I haven't, and I'm just putting out in the yeah. universe, come on, let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, favorite photographer? Oh. Wow. Um so many names are, are going by me. Um, I really, gosh, I love so many. I'm like looking at my vision board right over there. Like there's so <laughs> yeah. many good ones. Um, yeah. I really, I really do love, um, like an alive photographer. I'll say Alexi Lumerierski. I always, that's a hard last name. Um, yeah. love his work. Um, and then for, for the classics, you know, I'll say Patrick because I worked mm-hmm. alongside of him as well. Still alive. Yeah. Yeah. He's, am- he's unbelievable. Um, unbelievable. Uh, one camera, one lens, rest of your life. Uh, predictable. The contacts. contacts with an 80. <laughs> 80. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Just checking. Cool. Uh, thanks so much. Yeah. Those, um, is there anywhere people can find you? What's the easiest way to people? To yeah. Get Find me on the grams uh, at KT Mary, and that's that's you, we'll link to everything else. Um, if if people are interested in, if you're a photographer interested in education, it's at the Abundance Plan on Instagram, and for our fine art stuff at Render Loyalty on Instagram. Beautiful, yeah, Beautiful. yeah. Get some frame prints; they're like unbelievable. Thank so. you. Yes, yeah. and all it's you can do good just by shopping. So see, there yep. we just simplified it for people. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to chat with you and um, looking forward to, to connecting and seeing where this year takes us.